0: chapter 6. Can you all hear me? I can't hear myself either. 2 Corinthians, there we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The past several weeks we have looked at the introduction to the gospel of John, but we finished that. We told you that there was going to be five messages. So here we are at a great point, and so I want us to uh, look back at what our church is really to be all about, a focus, a refocus, a mission emphasis about what our church is supposed to be. I think this will be good for you. Uh, just here recently, I had to go and get my driver's license renewed. You've done that before, right? I was so upset about it. I was frustrated. I didn't want to. I didn't realize that it had been expired for several, several uh, weeks until somebody pointed that out to me when I had to show my driver's license at something. And, uh, not a cop but I had to show my driver's license or something and um, so I was frustrated I didn't want to take the time to go do that and I was kind of grumpy and complaining about it but then once I sat there at the DMV and I was working to get my driver's license renewed and I actually had to sit down and think and observe all of was going on I-, I realized that you know it's probably a good thing that we do this right it's probably a good thing that we make people and then the renewal of your driver's license is absolutely nothing right and once you wait and do all that it's just is the information correct? Okay, take a picture, pay your money, and you're gone. Then I was upset again of like, hey, if we're going to renew it, let's really renew this. Let's make sure I still don't know how to drive. So they tested me when I was 16, and they've never tested me again, right? And so as we know, there are a lot of people who have a driver's license, but they don't know how to drive. We know that, right? The installation of the paranormal roundabout is the biggest proof ever. That people do not know how to yield. And so it's really true that it's good for us to refocus and get back to what that's supposed to be. I found myself sitting there at the DMV going, it would be good for everybody to be retested on parallel parking and retested on what road signs mean. It would be good for us to do those things. We would have safer drivers then. And I think you all agree. It would absolutely be good church on a regular basis, to revisit who we are and what we are to be about, to be reminded what is our focus, what is our mission, what are our values, what are we to be about, and so today, that's what we will do. We want to look at what this church right here in South Louisville and Farrell, Kentucky, is focused on, what we're to be about, how we're to go about that, what our desire is for each other, what our desire is for those outside of the church May today God, by the power of his spirit, work inside of us, rekindle a faithful focus on who we are and what God wants us to be. And may we not be those who hold our membership or our driver's license and yet don't really know how to do that. It is true that there are many people who still have a valid driver's license, but they don't know really how to drive correctly or safely may it not be that there would be people who are a part of a church but don't know how to be the church don't know what God expects from the church so today we revisit that at 2nd Corinthians chapter 6 read with me the first four verses working together with him then we appeal to you not To receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you. And in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every. Paul here describes Christian ministry, church work, gospel ministry in a very humble and beautiful way. We've got to know the context, though, of these letters to the Corinthians. Paul is an apostle. He's a missionary. The book of Acts teaches us that when God saves Paul, God—I'm not sure what's happening with my throat. Uh, JJ, will you run downstairs and give me a cup of water, please? You're going to able to find a cup. Paul was a missionary, and the book of Acts teaches us that when God saved Paul, truly saved him and converted him to be a follower of Christ, he made him then to be a missionary to the Gentiles. And so what we know of the Apostle Paul is that he travels around everywhere seeking where God is opening doors, whereby he speaks the gospel, tells people about Jesus, preach the word of God, and then see what happens. Well, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18, we have Corinth. Paul ends up in court. There's some difficulty. There's some trials. There's some opposition. But eventually, there's a breakthrough. And a few people get saved. And Paul now starts. Awesome, man. Thank you. JJ will be back in 15 minutes. Eventually, in god sends him an extra message and says i want you to stay there Says 18 months he's to stay in corinth and just keep doing what he's doing and god says i have more people there and so what we have is this time period of at least two years that paul is there in corinth teaching preaching people are coming to faith in christ and he's starting a church well then he moves on he leaves they've got their own leadership they're a church on their own and paul's not there But the rest of the New Testament gives us these two letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, where he writes to them. And they're very eye-opening. It shows us a whole lot of the way the the, the, the leader, apostle, church planter, missionary still views the church. He loves them. He still thinks about them. That's not where he used to work. That's his people, his church, his stuff. He's just moved on to other things where God's leading him, but he still loves and cares about those people. So 1 Corinthians ends up being this letter where he's kind of calling them out we're not sure if that's the very very first letter we don't even think that it was there are other letters that he wrote in the bible we have too. but in this first letter he's calling them out he starts with division he moves on to them getting away from the truth of Jesus he moves on to sexual morality he moves on to lawsuits he, he moves on to spiritual gifts he moves on to what teachers they're going to follow he moves on to marriage and understanding marriage rightly yet yeah, he moves on to manhood Womanhood. He talks about everything in that book, calling them to repentance, telling them that they're immature, telling them that they're not very faithful, telling them that they're worldly at times. They need to repent and keep trusting in Christ. That's what 1 Corinthians is about. 2 Corinthians, though, where we're at right now is very different. It's personal. Paul opens up his heart. Perhaps more than anywhere else in the Bible, Paul shows that he's uh, vulnerable in the sense that he wants them to listen to. But it's not so much because he's a softy and he needs that security of knowing that they love him, right? His identity is not wrapped up in what they think about him. That's a huge part of Christianity, and you must get that. If your feelings are too heavy in your life for you to be accepted or approved or welcomed by people, then it will be hard for you to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you get it, bud? Okay. (laughs) Thanks for going. If your feelings are are too much of a factor in your life on being accepted or welcomed or loved or approved by people, then it will be hard for you to be truly, faithful, and honest and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying, remember last week we had that great emphasis in John chapter 1 on grace and truth. I'm not saying that you walk around with a bulletproof vest on saying, all I do is just throw out truth everywhere and I don't care what you think about me, right? I'm not saying that. We're to be loving and gracious. We're to lay our lives down. We're to sacrifice and all that. But Paul shows here that he does have a heart. He actually says at the end of this chapter, I have opened my heart up to you all. Please open your heart up to us. He says that because he wants them to believe the truth. And in real Christianity, it's not relationship on relationship. It is truth on relationship upon relationship. So it's not, hey, I want you to love me and know me and believe me. This isn't about, hey, come to church here because Josh Green goes here. This is about the truth, who preaches the truth, who believes the truth, who has the truth, who represents God, who brings God, who teaches God, who will help you stay focused on Jesus. And Paul writes this way to the Corinthian church. What's happened over the course of Paul being gone is, is that other leaders, other teachers have gotten involved with the church, and he calls them false apostles. They claim to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him. They're not truly Christian. They're Bible teachers. They're Bible carriers. They say that they are. They want to influence the church. They say they love the church. They like to be involved with the church, but they're not sincere. And those guys have now pushed the church to question Paul or doubt Paul. And so what we have in 2 Corinthians, this big long book, is Paul now telling them, no, trust me. I want you to hear something today. Do you have people in your life that will tell you the truth of Jesus? Do you have people in your life that will tell you the truth of Jesus? Or you have people in your life that say they follow Christ or say they're Christian, or say they believe in God, but they tell you what you want to hear, there is a big difference. No matter what relationships we're talking about. Paul here in this chapter. In this book. Is challenging the Corinthians. To look back at the truth of what saved them. The truth of what forgave them of their sins. The truth of what has been the life change in them. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God loved them. Sent his son to die on the cross for their sins. And by them being convicted of their sins. And turning away from judgment. They have turned to Christ who died for them. They have been received by God. Welcomed by God. They have been forgiven by God. They have been brought into the love and family of God. That's what happens to the Corinthians. Paul knows it. Paul started it. Paul was at the church. He was the church planer, the missionary. He knows that. And so now he's challenging them to believe that. Challenging them to remember that. He's challenging them to refocus on the truth of who they are. And therefore know how it happened or where it came from. So we get to chapter 6, and he starts to speak to that. Now what I want to do is I want to remind you of what our church's mission statement is. If you've got a bulletin when you walked in today, you should grab a bulletin every time you come into church. It's still like the the central spot of where we want you to stay informed on everything, okay? So if you have a bulletin there with you, on the front of it, it has our church's mission statement. We exist proclaim jesus while loving and serving both god and people we haven't had that mission statement for long it was just a few years ago that we worked hard together at the church out loud on wednesday nights for several several weeks working together what we wanted it to be what words did we want what emphasis did we want it to have and we together came up with this mission statement so today i want us to see that mission statement as we see it connecting very much so very closely with what paul says in chapter six number one we exist to proclaim jesus this is why the church is here this is why the church does what it does we want to talk We want to have conversations about Jesus. We want to have messages about Jesus. We want to have relationships that are centered on Jesus. May we make no apologies for that. Here's what we want to be about, what we want to be known for, Jesus Christ. Son of God, God in flesh, the word became flesh, the light of the world. We want to be about Jesus who came to save people from their sins. We want to be about the one who knows everything about us and still loves us. We want to be about the one who will forgive us of all of our sins. We exist to talk about him. let must be honest about this you're thinking about church and thinking about what it means to be a part of the church and thinking about what your role here is in the church, you must understand, no matter what it is, that we exist to proclaim Jesus. Paul makes this crystal clear always. He talks about Jesus all the time. He emphasizes that that's his only message all the time. He has determined to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He already told the Corinthians. But let's look right here at chapter 6, what he's saying. At chapter 6, verse 1, he says, working together with him then... We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Paul understands that there is salvation in nobody else other than Jesus. It is Paul who says over and over again that Jesus Christ died for your sins. and He died so that you could be saved. And if that is the message, if that is the truth, then just like Matt McGrath prayed earlier... You must believe that. We want every single one of you all to know him, follow him. Matter of fact, we want everybody we know to know him, believe him, and follow him. This is the emphasis that we see here. What's fascinating about this is this is an incredible. Incredible commitment to preaching Jesus and being about Jesus because these are the Corinthians that years ago he labored among and started a church with. These are the Corinthians that have known who Jesus is and have so-called believed in Jesus for years now. This is the second Corinthians. This is the first Corinthians. These are letters that he's writing from a long way away after he had spent time with them. When was the last time that you had a conversation with somebody in your fold, in your family, in your circle about? believing in Jesus. See, we miss missed out on understanding that that's the goal always. They may have gotten baptized five years ago or 20 years ago, but you know what is the pressing need right now? For us to have conversations about Jesus. We exist to proclaim about Jesus. This notion, this old school notion that they got saved, now they're fine, and we'll just worry about everything else, is baloney. It's not Christianity. It's not Christian discipleship. It is Jesus from day one until the end. It is Jesus Jesus, and everything about us must be existing to make him known. Existing to talk about him. Existing to have discussions about what is he doing in your lives. And you know this is still a struggle for us. Because a lot of times on Wednesday nights or Sunday nights I'll say, hey, tell me what Jesus is doing in your life, and nobody says anything. Because so much of what we're thinking about Christianity, don't get me wrong, I know some of you all have something to say and just don't feel like speaking up or not. So I'm not trying to step on your toes and get upset. But a lot of it is because a lot of it is because so much of the way we think about Jesus is yes, he saved me 15 years ago when I was a boy. But I don't really know what he's doing in my life right now. If you were forced to speak about what Jesus is doing in your life right now, you would not be able to say anything. I'm going to ask you about something else. You can talk by ear on And so we see the problem that we are struggling to know our identity, that we exist to proclaim Jesus.
1: Paul here is writing to
0: the Corinthians, these people that he has known for a long time, and he says, "Do I appeal to you, you do not receive the grace of God in vain? It is possible for you to have for a while looked like you were Christian, or seemed like you were Christian, or done a church thing, or professed Christ, and never have truly been converted or born again." We all know people right now today that used to be Christian. Now, that's a lot to sort out theologically, one saved, always saved, and all of that. But if you're not Christian, I guess you're not Christian, right? Let's just be honest about that. And Paul says to the Corinthians, even though he's the one who baptized them, don't tell me guys that all that was in vain. Don't tell me those were the good old days that we had back when I was in Corinth, but now that I moved on, y'all moved on too. Don't tell me that Jesus is what you used to do, but he's not in the conversations anymore. Don't tell me that Jesus is you raised your kids when they were going to Sunday school, but it's not how you raised them now. We exist to proclaim Jesus 24-7. It don't matter to me if he's 12 or if he's 22. That's the conversation at dinner time. That's the conversation at bedtime. That's the conversation when the hormones are going. That's the conversation when the anger starts to flow and you're ready to fight. That's the conversation. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We exist to proclaim Jesus. Paul says, I appeal to you, church, not to receive the grace of God. Anymore. Don't let Jesus be something that you used to be about, and not anymore. And then look what he, look what he says. He says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. And he quotes this. You can tell it's a quote, right? Because it's offset set in your Bible. He quotes this from Isaiah. This is from Isaiah chapter 49. And this is fascinating because if you know anything about the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is this really big long prophecy, okay? Really big long prophecy. Isaiah's the prophet. God speaks through him. But Isaiah, as much as anybody, speaks directly to the coming Messiah. There are four songs in the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, chapter 49, chapter 50, and then it carries over chapters 52 and 53. Four different songs. They're known as the servant songs. There are songs that are clearly talking about God's coming Savior. God is sending the Savior because, like we talked about last week, the law came through Moses, the grace and truth came through Jesus, right? That law, that Old Testament law, could never, ever save. So even in the midst of the Old Testament story, we needed a Savior. That law was showing us, hey, I need forgiveness. I need redemption. I need somebody that can save me apart from myself. And God's been saying He's coming. Some of the clearest ways that God said the Savior's coming was through Isaiah in his servant psalms. They're talking about Jesus. And in Isaiah 49, it's talking about Jesus. And it says this right here. In a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I helped you. God speaking to the need for salvation. The coming day of salvation, the availability of salvation, that help that comes from God and being able to save us, that God is actually the Savior—that's what God is speaking to. Well, Paul writing to the Corinthians says this: "Behold, now is the favorable time; behold, now is the day of salvation." Now, Paul is saying this. Uh, in Corinth where everybody was encouraged to bring all their lost friends so that they would get saved. This is the letter to the church. This is not hey preacher I want you to know I'm bringing my neighbors today and they don't walk with the Lord so if you can really get that evangelistic salvation message that would be good. This is the church. This is Paul speaking to the people that have been serving the Lord, Lord's suffered. This is Paul speaking to the people that take up the offering. This is Paul speaking to Sunday school. This is Paul speaking to the people who got baptized a long time ago. Today is the day of salvation. And here's what he means. You better be trusting in Christ right now. You better revisit your sinfulness. You better remind yourself of your need for repentance. You better remind yourself that apart from grace, You will not be forgiven. You better remind yourself that you were not a child of God and that you get brought into the family of God by the work of Christ. You need to know that every day is the day of salvation. Are we trusting in Christ? If this is true, then we as a church must always live knowing that's the case. We must always live with every single relationship we have wondering, been forgiven of their sins, are they right
1: with God? That means when God gives
0: you a child, the number one responsibility is all that they would know Jesus. When God gives you new neighbors, the biggest desire would be all that they would know Jesus. When God gives you a new co-worker, somebody in your office, when God gives you new employees, when God brings people into your life, our biggest desire is do they know Christ? We exist. Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. John MacArthur says there is a time in God's economy, listen to this, when he listens to sinners and responds to those who are repentant. And it was and it is now that time. If we will talk about Jesus, if we will proclaim him like our mission statement says we desire to, God listen to people who then turn to God and speak to him. God hears and responds to lost people that turn to God and say, God, will you hear me? God, are you there? God, is there forgiveness for me? God hears those prayers and God forgives. It only happens when people turn to Christ. We must always remember this. We must always remember that this is why we do what we do. So, we we need to understand That means churches, and specifically our church, very much so has an intentionality, a purpose, and a mission about it. We do want to be a lot of things, and that's going to be the second half of this message. That we, we want to do this by loving and serving both God and people. So there's a way that we want to do this. There is always a chance, and there's always the concern, that a church becomes a whole lot of good things without the meaning happens where we start to be all these different things that are good we lose the focus of being about Jesus and in turn we've really lost our ability to be good at the end of the day we must know Christ at the end of the day we must know Christ I remember some time ago I did a funeral it was a family that I didn't know so I walked in there and as I was preparing and meeting with the family and going over plans there in the, in the funeral hall, one of the family members walked up and said, hey, can we talk for a second? We got to talking and she started crying and she said, I don't know if he was saved. I'm saved. I love Jesus. But I don't know if that person was saved. She was upset. She was burdened. She started talking to God would forgive him of his sins. I was hoping that me praying a prayer of repentance score him would work. Does it work that way? I had to tell her with great humility and an attempt at graciousness that no, it doesn't work that way. If it did work that way, then we would just pray for everybody to be forgiven, wouldn't we? But you have to. Believe I said, did you ever actually talk to them about it? The tears started flowing and she said, no. And I knew all along that I was supposed to. I'm telling you here today that you are supposed to talk to people about Jesus. You know and I know it's not always easy. It does come Now I know how much they're hurting because they could have. See, the church is supposed to be good and alive and serving and helpful and all those things. And we're about to get to that. But we're supposed to be that so that when we speak what we're about, it is crystal clear that we mean it. That there's no question. Pastor Mark Lloyd-Jones says the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world she invariably attracts it. I love that quote. We're not trying to be just the best thing going on. We are trying to be so about Jesus. And in being so about Jesus, in the way that we go about that, they are taken back at how we are so about Jesus. May we be reminded here today that that's who we are. Jesus says it like this. A city set upon a hill cannot be in. Now you know he says that he in the context of light. But the point is when a church is all about Jesus it will be known for being all about Jesus. And a church will not try to be light without being light. Who we exist to proclaim Jesus. Paul was this way. Paul wanted his work to be about people connecting to Christ. Look back at just chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Look at chapter 3, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Look at verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Look at chapter 6, verse 2. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What a Well, imagine just saying this. Imagine just writing this in a note to somebody that you love. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. I want you to get right with God. I want you to know that he will forgive you of your sins. I want you to know. Way to the church, he's this way to everybody. We exist to proclaim Jesus. This is what they do. Which means we have to ask ourselves are we doing that? When somebody knows this church, do they know that we are focused on Jesus? When somebody knows this church, do they know that they're going to get Jesus? If somebody's considering attending or coming a part of the church, they know what they're going to get. If they're very much so against Christ, against his way, do they know this going to be a point of tension? A good, healthy tension? why those that you come here, do they know that's what's going to be about? This is the way you have to be thinking. Are we actually doing what God saved us to do? Are we able to honestly say that Jesus has so changed my life, I want him to change other people? So follow Christ. And I want other people to follow Christ. We exist to proclaim Jesus. Let us remember something here, okay? Don't miss this. The church is not this building. Oh, that you would remind yourself that all the time. It's a good, a refocused type of message to remind themselves of this. This building is not supposed to Building isn't alive. This building does not have the Holy Spirit living inside of it. And some of y'all didn't even know that. Some of y'all thought this was the house of God. It's not. The house of God are the people that believe in Christ. The Holy Spirit lives inside of the people. When we're not here, He's not here, just to be friends. When we're here, He's here. So when we say that this church exists to proclaim Jesus, it doesn't mean that the work that goes on that here does, although it does if we're here and we're doing what we do. But it is very crystal clear today that there are lots of churches where the people are and Christ is not there. There are lots of churches and the people are still there and the truth is not there. The proclamation of Jesus is not there. The cross is not there. The God that loves them so very much is not being proclaimed even though the people are there in the building. And that's not the point. That's wrong. We exist to proclaim Jesus. Means that everybody that belongs to the church. The body of Christ. The individuals that make it up. Exist to proclaim Jesus. Which means it's not the leader's job to proclaim Jesus. It is all of our jobs to proclaim Jesus. Which means that the reach of being able to reach the world. Is so much better than what a few people can do. Is what we're all supposed to be doing. We. Me. And you person beside you and the person beside them. Those that are truly a part of the body of Christ exist to proclaim Jesus. This is what the church does. And while we say that, while we know that, our mission statement then goes on to say how we're going to do that. So my second point today is, while loving and serving both God and people. I was glad that we added this. When we were working through a mission statement, we knew that we wanted to be crystal clear on preach the gospel, tell people about Jesus. We knew that. But what else did we want it to say that would really define the manner in which we did it? We do want to be preachers. We want to be those that hold the Bible, herald the truth. We want to be those that speak and are bold and courageous and not ashamed. We want to be evangelists. said, while loving and serving both God and people. Let me turn you back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This next statement is outstanding, and I wish more churches would speak this out loud. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. No obstacles! No obstacles! No obstacles! No obstacles! obstacles. And yet so often, because we're not revisiting our mission and our focus, we're full of obstacles. You have heard people say before that they don't have certain clothes to wear to church. And you have heard church people say before that they don't do this, again, or their life's not together enough, or whatever. And there are all of these obstacles that they cuss a little bit, or they drink a little bit, or they do this a little bit, they think there are all of these obstacles to coming to Christ. Paul says we don't want to put any obstacle there. Now there are going to always be obstacles, and we know that. There are always going to be tensions and awkwardness and relationships and Things that are not even real obstacles, that people think are obstacles, right? That's always going to be there. But it is so helpful to actually hear, we don't want there to be any obstacles. We preach the gospel, that's a big obstacle enough. You must turn a 180 degree away from your sins. You must repent, turn away from sins, turn to Christ. You must confess your sins. You must humble yourselves under the mighty name of God. You must bow your knee, confess with your tongue, right? That's a pretty big obstacle to come to Christ. But man, he said that's the only obstacle. May it really be that just as I am, they will be received. May it really be that we want to be servants, as he mentions here in the very next verse. But there are no obstacles. Just for clarity, let me remind you what an obstacle is. It is something that obstructs or hinders progress. Could it be Do there are people out there? Does that happen when we say that we are loving, but we've never loved? Paul says we put no obstacle in anyone's way. We don't want you to be hindered. So we have said that while we want to be all about Jesus, we want to do it while loving second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. We know that Jesus Christ washed feet and said that no servant is greater than his master. It's the very words of our Lord. He serves. And if we're going to follow him, we serve too. Meaning that we humble ourselves and do as Philippians 2 says, that we look out for their interests more important than ours. That we consider them more important than ourselves. So that we can proclaim Jesus to them? This is what R.C. Sproul says. He says, relying on God's commandment to love our neighbor, Christians should respond with generosity and compassion to all forms of human need. Jesus healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he taught the ignorant, and those who are new creatures in Christ must practice the same compassion. In doing so, listen, in doing so, they make credible the gospel they preach. About a Savior whose love transforms sinners into those who love God and other people. Sproul is saying that the loving and serving that we do in the world, the humble, selfless, sacrificial lives we live... it's automatically obstacle, like you went to somebody and you said, hey listen, I'd love you to come to church with me and find Jesus to get your life right, it'd be the best thing ever happened to you, peace on the inside, I'd love for that to happen but before you do, I've got this obstacle and this obstacle and this obstacle that you must learn to get over before you come to Christ we're not doing that, certainly I hope you're not but what happens is we know that God is this loving God, this gracious and forgiving God, this God who gave his son to die Greater love has no man than this. And if we have been loved in that way, we are to love that way. Love and serve that way. We are to be like Christ. And in being like Christ, we open the door to proclaim the gospel. Or the gospel we've proclaimed seems to have wings because we have validated it or made it incredible. Before we go into outreach-minded thinking, though, I want us to look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 want us to remember that he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to people he knows, that he led to Christ. Look what it says here in verse 3. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. Verse 4. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Paul is saying to his church, the Corinthian church, we want you to know that you should listen to us. We want you to know that you should believe us. We want you to know that. You should listen to us. Sproul goes on to say, Christians are sent into the world of fallen humanity by their Lord to witness to it about God's Christ and God's kingdom and to serve its needs. But they are to do so without falling victim to its materialism, without falling victim to its lack of concern about God and eternity, and its pursuit of pleasure and status above all else. Matthew Henry says, nothing profanes the name of God more than the misconduct of those whose business it is to do honor to it. Nothing hurts the witness of God more than when those who say they know God do dishonor to God. So Paul says here, we want you to listen to us and believe us. Now, if we were to stop right there, and I intentionally wanted us to stop right there. If we were to stop right there, then we find ourselves going, okay, then we just need to be good. Attractive or entertaining or whatever you think gets people to like God, and here is where we must embrace the truth: all is not saying. That. Look at the very next verse, verse four. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Look at this: by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities. Meetings, imprisonment, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Does that sound like a good advertisement? If that was a church, would you go? If that was a restaurant, would you go? If that was a grocery store, would you go? It's not. Because Paul isn't trying to sell you one single bit on how awesome and legitimate. This isn't we got the best music or the best preacher. This isn't the best we got the best child care, the best nursery, the best student ministry. This isn't the best facilities. We don't have the best infrastructure. This is not that at all. Christianity never has and it never will be. We are so good. Look at us. Come be a part of it. That's not it. If you've been trying to sell that to your families and your friends, no wonder they're not coming. Because they can do life just as well as we can without God. Oftentimes, much better. I know marriages of unbelievers that last. I know parenting of unbelievers that works. I know businesses of unbelievers that are successful. When you keep trying to sell Jesus like we're the best or we're the or we know how to do it well, it doesn't work that way. Paul is telling the Corinthians to listen to him because he's so sincere, he's so genuine, he is so authentic. And the first thing that he lists, now he does get to the good things. If you look at verse. He goes into purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holy spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God, all of that good stuff. But before he even starts with the good things, he starts with the bad things. Or what you think are bad things. Paul says, We are so committed to the truth of Jesus that you would never For you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When you look them in the eye and you speak that, if you dare would, you ought to think straight to heart, because they know, they know, they know you mean it. And there's not an ounce of, well, I'm doing life so much better than you, you really need to get yourself together like me. And I know you're not saying that, because I hope you're not, but it feels that way feels lot times. If you get yourself together and get you a job and do this or do that, you, you know, we start talking like that. And I'm, I'm just saying, Jesus is the key to all that. No, that's not it. And Paul's list here is absolutely shocking because he lists all the things that nobody likes. Church, I really want y'all to do this, okay? I want y'all to keep having me as your pastor. I want y'all to always listen to me because this me and Val are suffering like crazy we got nowhere to live, nowhere to sleep, no food we're involved in riots, slavery, they get beat up all the time they put me in jail, hardships, afflictions everything's a struggle for us, calamity all around would y'all please keep me as your pastor that's what he says in Christian Church and he believes wholeheartedly that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to suck those guys in convict them of this sin and say he brought us the truth and we're going to stick to the truth because the truth's all we care about give us Jesus, give us Jesus and whatever else comes our way, we don't care give us Jesus, he's the only one loves you and will forgive you of your sins. He's the only one that reconciles you to God. He's the only one who died because of your sinfulness. He's the only one. And so whoever's going to get you focused on Jesus, then love it. And there is where family and parenting should rise. Get on that way and never fall off. Guess what? Who cares what One day. It loves them. It will redeem them. It will reconcile them to him. That is what Christianity is about. And that's what church is about. We exist to look people dead in the eye as we will wash their feet, spend our money, sacrifice ourselves, go to jail for them, repeat up for them, suffer for them, ride without a car for them, whatever we would have to do to let them see Jesus mean. I know that without much thought, you think, well, it doesn't sound very good. Paul was probably miserable. I don't think God wants us to be miserable, and that's a legit argument. So let's see what he says. Look at verse 7. By truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness, with the right hand and the left, through honor and dishonor, so now we get back at all kinds of bad things. Paul's life was full of dishonor. Through slander and praise, tons of slander there. Treated as an imposter, yet we are true. Unknown, yet well known. As dying, yet behold we live. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, now pay attention. And always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. If you thought for a second, Paul saying, I'm so miserable, but I've got the truth. but have found the balance, not at all. Paul is the very one who said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have learned in whatever situation I find myself in to be content. You may see me as somebody who has nothing. God opened the doors for us. We have schools calling us on a regular basis. We have public schools calling us on a regular basis. We have First Baptist Church Fairdale people involved in multiple schools, in into multiple schools, sharing the gospel, serving, helping, doing all sorts of things. Right? We were approached by Dare to Care a few years ago, and now our food pantry is doing so many things. We have thousands of people in South Louisville being fed by First Baptist Church Fairdale. If you go on and on with the things that we're doing, this chapter would warn us in the realest way to not think that that means we're a good church. I want to challenge you too to not think that that means we're a good church. God has given us those open doors so that we would be faithful to represent him in them. We don't want schools helped and bellies filled and mouths fed without also offering. Paul models this so very well. Paul will do anything for anybody so that he can tell them about Christ. He said that exactly in the passage that Matt read in 1 Corinthians 9. I become all things to all people that by some way I may win some to Christ. If you want to be a part of First Baptist Church of Perry, now is the day of salvation. Now God move in our hearts to lead us to repentance that yeah, we would be. If you're here today, you need to be honest about that. It's just like the driver's license renewal is somewhat frustrating to you, but the honest admission that we need to remain good drivers is also true. May God live in our hearts I had a conversation with somebody a few years ago where I was trying to emphasize being about Jesus, evangelism, kind of like this. And I gave him a week or so to go find somebody to talk to, and he came back and he said, Josh, I hate to say it, but I don't know any unbelievers. I don't know anybody that. unbelievers. Hey, I would love it if you came to talk to me about Jesus. I'd love for you to say what, what you've never taken now, Josh. You know what I'd love even more? If you talk to my kids. There's a dairy Queen right there. I'll let any single one of y'all take them over there, buy them an ice cream. They'll let you, too. Talk to them about their faith. Hey, how's Josh about it at home? Say the real thing? Like that, and gets all worked up. Does he mean it? Do you think he believes it? Does he look you in the eye? Does he love you that deeply? Or, if you don't want to take my kids out because they do get a lot of ice cream, church is full of kids. And I can name for you some kids right now in our church that have never been taken out to ice cream, they have never been talked to about Jesus. And Dairy Queen is right there. And that Dairy Queen is so nice that he would probably not even make you pay. He'd give it to you. You could talk to him. Second thing I would say is, isn't that the whole point of loving and serving? Put yourself in position to know some unbelievers. What could it be? Is there yardage? I know that many of us don't right now have relationships with people that you could talk to about their salvation in Jesus. I understand that. But the heart of Paul, the heart of the message of the Bible is for us to say, I want people to know the Jesus that is so satisfied in my heart. May he God work that in us. If you're here today and you've never committed to Christ, do it. Don't leave today putting it off. Be saved now. We will baptize you as soon as we we will help you follow Jesus. Today is the day for all of our church to recommit ourselves to Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Paul's honesty and transparency. God, make me a missional church where we want to be about Jesus. Father, don't let us be content and settle on just doing God, don't let us be a church that has a mission statement of we love and serve both God and people. There's a lot of churches that love that mission statement. There's a lot of churches that would improve quite a bit if that's all that they have. God, that is not it. We want people to know Christ. Father, work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here today and you need to respond, you need to trust in Christ, I want to talk to you about that. If you've never gotten saved, you want to believe in him, you know you need to be forgiven of your sins, let me help him with that. If you've never been baptized, if you want to, you're ready to, let's talk about that. If you want to join our church, under a pandemic, we can space out and talk. If you're ready to join our church and be a part of our church and move in that direction, you can do that now. Let's refocus. Awesome time. July's here this week. Let's commit ourselves to Christ. Let's thank him.